Welcome to Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray that you are blessed by this message from Pastor John Roberts. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Let's read and start in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Let me go through and just tag just a couple of things real quick. Um, one, Paul was an apostle by the will of God. We are whatever we are in the Christian walk by the will of God. It's God's idea. Uh, I had a pastor once that, that uh, put it this way. He said, um, and he just asked the general question. He said, if you boil all of your problems down, where do your problems come from? Well, the obvious answer is that the root of all of them is sin, and the root of sin is the devil. And he said, if you want to um, boil everything down, where's your answer? Well, our answer is Jesus. And then his statement was, well, who came first, Jesus or the devil? Well, obviously Jesus. So before our problem ever existed, our answer was already there. So it, all of this is here because it's God's will. God has designed um, our redemption from before the foundation of the world. And it all is by grace. God's grace is, um, I love the acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. There we go. Um, everything we've got is, from, is what God or what Jesus provided for us at the cross. And the great thing, and we're going to see that a little bit tonight and, and get into it more because really the end of verse 3 is the theme um, for all of the book of Ephesians is that Pretty much every group of Christians, it's a universally accepted, pretty much universally accepted doctrine that Jesus forgave all of our sins at the cross. But what a lot of Christians and a lot of Christian movements don't understand that that was a two-part deal. He not only paid the price for our sins, but he also elevated us to a position with him. And that, that elevation gives us authority, gives us, uh, Peter said it in, in 2 Peter, we have great and precious promises, and by those we can inherit the nature of God. Um, he gave us a lot of stuff. He didn't just take the negative away. He added, well, in, in one sense, it, it talks about it over in, chap in chapter 2 of Ephesians, that it will take in the ages to come to show us all of the blessings he's given. It's going to take all eternity for God to show us how he's blessed us. So if you compare the weight of sin with the blessings, you know, the, the scales, the, the blessing side is so weighted down that there's, it doesn't even out. It's not a fair exchange. I mean, Jesus just gave us everything he is with with the exception we are not God but we have been made like God and we have been given the inheritance that Jesus has 
But it all comes, and, and this is what verse 3 says, it, it comes through the blessings every, and he's already granted those, through every spiritual blessing, but it's all in the heavenly places in Christ. And it was interesting as I was reading um, the commentary by Martin Lloyd-Jones, Lloyd I wrote this, this quote by him, and it says that, that um, well, let me just read it. He says, by the new birth, by our regeneration, we are joined to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we become sharers and participators in his life and in all the blessings that come from him. The apostles' teaching is that we are in Christ. We are part of Christ. We are so bound to him by this organic, mystical union that whatever is true of him is true of us spiritually. As he is in the heavenly places, so are we in the heavenly places also. The blessings we enjoy as Christians are blessings in the heavenly places because they all flow out of Christ who is there. And, and it's interesting, this, this, that phrase, heavenly places, um, occurs five times in Ephesians. It's right here in verse 3. It's also in, verse, in chapter 1 in verse 20. In Paul's prayer, uh, he's talking in at the end of verse 20, he's talking about the working of the mighty power, which, and this is speaking of God the Father, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And then in chapter 2, verse 6, uh, this is one of the greatest scriptures for me of all times. Um, well, back up to verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then chapter 3, verse 10 Paul's saying, talking about making, uh, preaching the, the, the mystery of the cross and the mystery of the new birth. And he said all of that, the purpose of all of that is to the, in, in verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And then um, we're going to come back to that one here in a minute. But then also in verse or chapter 6, verse um, 12, where he's talking about um, the armor. And he's talking about this fight that we're involved in. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Which, when you think about it, because when I think of the heavenly places, especially in connection with the verse in um, chapter 2, verse 6, where we're seated with Christ, I'm thinking of the throne room of God. I'm thinking, here's God the Father, and right next to him, at his right hand, the seat of power, is Jesus. And I'm seated in that throne with Christ. Now, if you go to heaven, you're not going to see me, but you're going to see Christ, but I'm in him. And Jesus, by his own 
confession said, when you see me, you've seen the Father. Well, when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see us, he sees Jesus. And I think I've talked to Aaron um, many times that there, there's a mathematical law that if A equals B and B equals C, then C has to equal A. Well, if the Father and Jesus are one, and I and Jesus are one, then the Father and I are one. And if the Father and the Holy Spirit are one, then I and the Spirit are one. So I'm, when you boil it all down, we're, we are actually spiritually united. I love the way, way um, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, it's an organic mystical union to the point that whatever is true for the Godhead is true for me, with the exception that I'm not God. I do have a beginning, and I'm a fallen creature, but I've been redeemed, and he's, it's, it's not like I'm making myself out to be something. He has elevated me to that position in my spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that I still don't have a body, and my body is, um, well, we don't have dual natures because I look at us, when, as far as nature goes, my spirit is my true nature, but I still do have the flesh, which has the power of sin. That's why I can't live a perfect life. Even though I am redeemed, I'm just like the Father. I still have problems. But the difference is, and this is where we've looked in the past at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Um, Paul says, back to the church at Rome, he says, you need to be, um, don't be conformed to this world, to the way you used to do things, to that sinful way, because... Uh, Satan is the God, little g, of this world. Don't be conformed to that way of doing things, but conform yourself by renewing your mind. Change the way you think. That's your soulish realm. Change the way you think and start identifying with who you are in Christ. But from these, especially that last one, but even some in, in Ephesians 3.10, when, when he says that, Part of, the, part of the purpose of us being here is that we can make known the manifold. That, that word there for manifold um, really means the entire or variegated, the many side. It, it's, it's not just an, an aspect of the wisdom of God but every aspect of the wisdom of God. Now, I, I look at that also since corporately we are the body of Christ, all the Christians on the earth. The entire body of Christ shows every aspect of the wisdom of God. I may only show one or two or three or a dozen. I don't know. I can show part of the wisdom of Christ. I don't have all the wisdom of Christ. But I can. The, our, our purpose is that we will make known of that to the principalities and powers that are also in the heavenly places. Which really, to be honest with you, it upsets my theology because I don't think of the devil being able to access heaven. But if you go back to 2 Corinthians, because this is one of the points that um, Martin Lloyd-Jones made, all five of the... Um, um, references there in Ephesians. Um, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, they're all the same. It's one Greek word, eporani. 
and I'm, that's a horrible um, pronunciation. Or it's, there's another form of it, uh, epo-uranus. But in 2 Corinthians 12, in verse 2, this is, Paul, this is a testimony of Paul about his, himself. He said, I know a man in Christ, that's himself, he just never says, look, this is me. He says, who 14 years ago, whether in the body I don't know, or whether out of the body I don't know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Well, the way I've heard it taught, Martin Lloyd-Jones reflected this in his commentary, and I've heard it from many, many other sources, that what Paul did here, Paul had a, a vision. God gave him a vision of, of heaven and instructed him. Because Paul didn't have a, he didn't get, go to Bible school. There weren't any Bible school. It wasn't a Bible. But God took him out into the wilderness for three years. In fact, by tradition, um, seminaries are a three-year course of study. And part of that tradition is because God dealt with Paul in the desert for three years. But God taught him face to face. Jesus came through visions, through different things, through just enlightening him with the Old Testament, because they did have the Old Covenant. He taught him, but in this case, Paul was so caught up that he wasn't sure if his body was there with him or he was out of his body. But he was in the third heaven. And the way they describe it, there are three heavens, or the the Bible talks about three forms of heaven. One is our atmosphere, um, where the clouds are, where the rain is. It's, it's an earthly realm. The second heaven is where the stars are. And in the ancient world, um, you have to remember, they thought, they, they knew, actually back in Paul's day, they knew the earth was round. It, it took the... Uh, um, church falling into the Middle Ages for people to get ignorant enough to think the earth was flat. They lost that knowledge, uh, which reminds me of some of our modern people uh, for all their brilliance in certain subjects. You have to work real hard, and some of them do work real hard at, at, at being really, um, how do I say this without being unkind, stupid. <laughs> I mean, I listen to some of the things that people say, and it's like, Wow, you have to work real hard to, to be that dumb. But they, they looked at, they, they were an Earth-centric universe. They thought everything revolved around the Earth, which naturally, if you look at it, the sun comes up in the east, it goes over your head and it sets in the west. The stars do the same thing. The moon does the same thing. So it's, it's from our standpoint, we're standing still and we're watching these things go around us, so they're thinking, well, there's the heavens here, and then a little higher than that, there are these stars, and they didn't know, they, didn't, they weren't looking at them as we do, that they're, you know, um, balls of gas that are glowing in millions of degrees. They just, they didn't know what they were. Uh, in fact, pretty much most of them thought they were either angels or demons, but that's where the heavenly realm was. And then in Christian thought, they added a third heaven, which was where God resided. And in some ways, there are, when you read through the New Testament, you see that represented as a somewhere beyond the universe. But then Jesus also said that, that this world was just a, a veil. 
and you get the impression that heaven is also right here next to you, you just aren't aware of it, that that heavenly realm is, and, and for me in this case, I see that as a, 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 I see it more that heaven is everywhere physically, that when, when God created the universe, he created in the midst of where he, his realm. It's not a physical realm. It's a spiritual realm, but there's just a barrier that separates us, and it's very thin, and we can't penetrate it, but spiritually, we do, because he said there in Ephesians 3.10, we're showing these demons, these principalities and powers, the wisdom of God, and in 6.12, we're wrestling with them in that heavenly place. So in, in some respects, they do have some limited access to that heavenly realm. But we're there. And for us, it's the, the biggest thing is we have to understand, because there is a fight, and we're going to get into that when we get to the end of Ephesians, <laughs> whenever that comes, um, if the Lord doesn't tarry a long time, we may never, or if he comes quick, we may not get there, but we'll pick it up in heaven. Um, but part of what I think Paul is trying to get to, and it's at least in my mind, and I think it's kind of generally accepted with most theologians, probably the church at Ephesus was the most spiritual body that Paul dealt with. Um, Colossae would be close because of the letter to Ephesians and, and Colossians. Colossae were this pretty much equal. They just had it a little bit different approach. <clears throat> so he could get into a little deeper things, but I think his emphasis is here is you need to forget about who you are as a natural man, and you need to start identifying yourself as being one with Christ. You are one with the Father. You have spiritual authority. That's we, that situation we were talking about earlier. You can, you can convince someone that it's God's will to heal. It's God's will to bless. But if you can't convince them that they have the authority to not to, not to, because I've, I've heard people, especially when they talk about word of faith people, and I consider myself to be a word of faith person, they say, well, you just, you're commanding God. It's like, no, I'm not that stupid. I know I, I can't tell God anything, but I can command the devil. I can command the principalities and powers, the devil himself. I have authority over him in my life. I have absolute authority over him in my life. I have a lot of authority over him in my wife's life, although she can counteract that authority if she chooses to. We, the two of us, have a lot of authority over our children and our grandchildren, not as much as well, over our children we do until they get older. My kids are both married. Their spouses have more authority than I do. But there is authority and when, especially when God says, I want you to go do this, then you can have absolute authority in every situation. That's how Jesus, when you go back and look at the, um, 
the Gospels, all of the miracles that Jesus did, they occurred because God, through the Holy Spirit, spoke to Jesus and said, you go into this situation and you say this, and he obeyed, and when he obeyed the Father, man, the Holy Spirit was right there, wham, it happened. And that's part of the key to our life once we get this revelation that we are in the heavenly places and we've been given every spiritual blessing that exists in Christ. We are joint heirs with him. We are full heirs with him. And everything he has is ours. Then when we add to that learning how to hear the voice of the Spirit, wow, then you start listening for the Holy Spirit's voice. And when he says, go do this, you go say what he says and he'll back it up. And he'll change, he'll, he'll move heaven and earth. Because that is his will at that point. Part of that is being able to hear that voice. And this is one of the things I, I saw this because this is the emphasis of this letter. Know who you are in Christ. Make that the most important part of your world. It's not Bill Craft going and laying hands on a kid and believing for him to be healed. It's Jesus Christ working through the hands of Bill Craft to bring healing to this kid. And, and this one of the statements that, that uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said the people that are the most miserable are those who are always thinking of themselves and their situations. Self-centeredness is a prescription for limiting God's blessings. When all you can see is me and mine, you know, Brother Hagin used to have this little thing. He said, you know, one of the worst prayers, most Christians' prayers, maybe is how he put it, is, hi, God, my name's Jimmy, gimme, gimme, gimme. And unfortunately, 90%, I think, of our, of our prayers are that way. Yes, and, and that is part of, and it's even worse in worship services. I've, I've been in several churches over the years where praise and worship would just get so anointed, and then suddenly it would get quiet. And I'll tell you what, after about 30 seconds a minute, people start getting uncomfortable. And somebody, because I've, I've been involved in charismatic Pentecostal churches, somebody always wants to start out with either a prophecy or a tongue. And I had one pastor, he finally, he was trying to train the congregation, and he always say, no, stop. God just wants you to be quiet and listen. And, and if we can do that for five minutes, however long it takes, just keep your mind. But the problem is you get, give me 30 seconds to a minute of quiet, and my mind starts racing to all the things that I got to do. And it's a hindrance. Paul said it here in Ephesians. We're still in chapter 1. If you go down, he, his, one of his first prayers starts in um, verse 15. And I'm going to just read through the first three verses. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints... Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That always shocked me when I first saw those, that, those two scriptures. Paul really started praying the church at Ephesus after he heard of their faith and their love. 
Usually we pray for people till they get born again and then we could pray for them. And that's when their war starts. And we wonder why people come in and they get saved and they don't hang around. Because we, we, we don't realize we've just thrown them into a lion's den and they got no weapons. They've got no knowledge. And God didn't call us to do that. But in verse 17, he said, I, I make mention of you in my prayers that the God of our, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That's what I see God trying to do, Paul trying to do here. He wants to enlighten our understanding. I, I look at that. He wants to give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. The eyes of our understanding, that wisdom and revelation and that knowledge is part of that understanding. Be enlightened tells me that he want, he's praying for us to get a revelation of who Jesus is and who we are in Jesus. Why? That we might know what is the hope of his calling. His calling is on us, not talking about that you're going to be a, a, a prophet, apostle, a pastor, a teacher, or an um, evangelist. That, that's not the, the, the fivefold calling. He's talking about the calling on every believer. The calling that, that, that Jesus said in the Great Commission at the end of Mark, that you go lay hands on the sick and they would recover, that you'll drink any deadly poison and it'll not harm you. That's part of our calling. It's being so caught up in who we are in Christ that we walk in victory. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to be challenged. It doesn't mean you'll never be sick. You'll never know poverty. I mean, let's face it. Paul said, hey, these are, you know, he listed some. These are some of the light... Um, oh, I forgot the term he used. Light afflictions of this world. And I'm looking at these light afflictions and I'm thinking, I wouldn't have survived half of them. But compared to the riches of the glory, and he says that here in, in, in when he continues on with that, that uh, prayer, that you might know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance. That's in the saints, that's in us. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He is seated high above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. That's the source of all of our blessings because we're seated above principalities and powers and mights and dominion in every name that is named. Not only in this age, but in, the, in every age to come. Every name, anything that can be named, it's under the feet of Christ. And if we're in Christ, it's under our feet. We have authority. And this is not talking about other people. It's talking about principalities and powers, demons, angels, evil angels, the devil himself. The devil could walk in here and manifest himself to us. And you could take the, the um, Beck. I don't remember. I don't know how Beck, old Beck is, but he couldn't be more than four or five. Beck has enough authority to send the devil screaming as a five-year-old because he knows Christ. 
That's what Paul's trying to get through. And we've talked about, I mean, we've spent three lessons on the blessings. I've used this verse before. Um, Psalm 68, 19, blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation. Every day he wants to bless us. I just saw this one. Um, uh, it actually, it was in this book I was reading. Um, Psalm 512. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. So this is for us. You will bless the righteous with favor. You will surround him. At, excuse me. You will surround him as with a shield. Now, favor. I looked it up because I thought favor. What? I mean, it's one of those, I know what the word means, but do I really know what the word means? So I looked it up. I love this. Something done or granted out of goodwill rather than from justice or for remuneration. It's God blessed us voluntarily, not because we deserve it and not because we earned it. God has basically said... I'm going to be your, your shield. I'm going to bless your socks off just because I want to bless you. And Psalm 68 said, it's coming every day. I'm going to load you down with benefits every day of your life. I don't know about you, but that, man, I get excited about that. I'm ready for that. And then when I, I saw it, he's going to do it as with a shield, reminded me immediately of Genesis 15:1, where he was talking to Abram. Uh, the word of the Lord came to Abram, said, Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. That favor that he's blessed us with daily, that he's going to be uh, surround us as a shield, it's Jesus himself. It's the Father himself surrounding us as a shield. It's, it's, we have the Godhead. One of those, and this is one that I, I love, uh, Galatians 3.13, I mentioned it earlier. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He became the curse and he's redeemed us. And the one that, that um, if you go back to Deuteronomy 28, verse 15, this is the, the, the beginning of that. It said, um, he goes through the first 14 verses with the blessing of the law. You fulfill the law, you follow the law without fail, you're going to get these blessings. 14 verses. The chapter ends, I don't know, 70 verses, around verse 70. I mean, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot more curses than blessing. Let me see if I can... Find it here. It's, uh, there are 68 verses. So there's 14 blessings and 54 verses on cursing, the curse of the law. And verse 15 says, But if it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, all of these curses will come upon you and overtake you. The one that I focused in on, verse 60 and 61, Moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Also, every sickness and every plague, which is not written in this book of the law, the Lord will bring upon you until you are destroyed. 
So when we fail to fulfill the law, which Paul said we can't keep the law, we deserve that. But his, Paul said in Galatians, he's redeemed us from that curse and he's blessed us with favor. He's reversed all of this. And I love this, and I'm, I'm, I'm almost out of time, so I'm going to have to go through this quickly, and it's a long passage. But Psalm 118, this is where uh, particularly I, I get excited because this verse 17 is the verse that, that God gave me as I was driving up to the uh, restaurant when Gina had collapsed from that heart failure. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know where it was. I just remembered the verse. But it says, um, verse 17, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. And the Lord just witnessed to me, you need to take that verse and you need to confess that over your wife. She's not going to die. She's going to live and she's going to declare the works of the Lord. And we just saw with Carrie Fisher exactly what happened to Carrie Fisher is what happened to Gina. And she never, I mean, she had medical attention right there immediately. In fact, I think they got her heart and rhythm quicker than they got Gina's heart and rhythm. And yet, she never regained consciousness. And three days later, she died. It took Gina three days to, re or, well, yeah, about three days to regain consciousness. But she has no heart damage. She has no brain damage. I mean, she still has, there's a few complications we're working through, but I have no doubt. I mean, if God can heal your heart and your brain from lack of oxygen, the few little things we've got going on now are nothing compared to that. And I'm not going to stand until, and, and I'm going to keep standing, until they all show up. The complete healing. But notice the context of that verse. And, in, and think of this in the context of us being seated in heavenly places. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say, his mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say, his mercy endures forever. In, in four verses, he said four times, my mercy endures forever. That, boy, if that doesn't convince you that God's not trying to kick you out of the kingdom, nothing can. Because God doesn't repeat things because... He, he stutters. He repeats it, so we'll get it. And he's repeated this four times. My mercy keeps enduring. You can't exhaust my mercy. But then look at all of the things that he's going to bless these people with and all the distresses that, that they will. Um, he's going to work them out of. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I won't fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those, or the Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. Now, this is in context of Israel being attacked by foreign lands and foreign armies. But for us, think of it in a spiritual sense. You're being attacked by demons and, and curses and and um, even just regular folk who just hate us because we're Christians. He said, verse 8, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. The, I love the message version of that said, I don't put my confidence in, um, um, oh, I lost the term. Uh, what do we call the famous people? There's a term for it. Um, 
<laughs> celebrities. Said, I don't put my confidence in celebrities. Well, boy, if that's, a, if that's not a sign of our times. Celebrities, I mean, uh, you know, I, I, Meryl Streep's a great actress, but that speech she gave the other night, it's like, why would I care what she thinks about politics? I mean, she, she's good at pretending, but that doesn't mean she knows anything past acting. She's a great actress, but that, that's not a skill set that makes you ready to run the world. But there are a lot of people that put their confidence in celebrities. If a celebrity says to do this, I mean, look at how many, and I've got nothing against sports people, but uh, in fact, I love some of them. I, uh, um, I just seen, and he's been retired for years, Jerry Rice. And suddenly, he's doing all kinds of commercials. I've seen him on three different commercials for three different products. And uh, one of them was this um, Louisiana chicken place. And it, they're, they're getting ready to sell a lot of chicken around the Super Bowl, so they wanted a, a world-class football player. And I'm thinking, I'm either going to buy their chicken or not buy their chicken by whether it tastes good, not because Jerry Rice said, go try this. I, I mean, I, and I don't have anything against Jerry Rice. I think he's one of the greatest sportsmen, and he seems, everything I've read, seems like a very nice man. But we need to quit looking at celebrities. Um, all nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees. They were quenched like a fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. I don't know if you've ever, you know, the old-fashioned way of getting rid of a hornet's nest was to make a torch. And you come up right up underneath that, and man, that heat, they'll start pouring out of there. And the second they hit those flames, their wings are gone, and they're on the ground dead. And it's, their, their nest is made out of paper, and it'll just go up in flames. That's what he's talking about. Verse 13, you pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. I, the, the message again on that one said, I was on a ledge and you pushed me over the edge, but God grabbed me and held me. I love the way they phrase that. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. That right hand of the Lord is Jesus. He sits at the right hand of the Father. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. When the enemy comes and says, that's it, I'm going to kill you. I'm getting rid of you. You're not going to make this. You're not, you, you may have survived other things, but you're not going to survive this. It's, we need to just laugh at him. No, I'm going to live. And, and, and it's not necessarily just physical death. I'm going to come destroy your marriage. I'm going to come destroy your business. I'm going to come destroy your kids. You can pick any area of your life. We just say, no, that part of my life's not going to die. It's going to live and it's going to thrive. And that part of my life is going to declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. I'm, when I read that, I think of John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the light. You know, no one comes to the Father except by me. He is the door through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. 
Again, to show that we're talking about Jesus. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's or Jehovah's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I've prayed that a lot of times and declared that, you know, today's the Lord's day. No, it's talking about every day. Today is the day of salvation. We've used, I've used that for years, that today's the day to get saved. No, I'm already saved, but today is the day of salvation. Today's when I need to, today is the day I need to tap into that salvation and make that part of my life. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Now that ought to jerk the people who are against prosperity preaching. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. goes right back to Ephesians 1.18. He wants us to be enlightened. Shine a light on who you are in Christ. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Comes right back to his mercy. I don't have to worry, because I've heard that, well, you know, God would bless me, but you don't know what a screw-up I am. You don't know what a screw-up I am. <laughs> but that's not the point. The point is, Jesus blesses us not because we foul up, but because he never did. And because he never did, we get to walk in his blessings. Has nothing to do with us. Yeah, but I sinned today. Well, get over it. Your sin's not bigger than his grace. His mercy endures forever. It doesn't, well, yeah, it, it, it endured up until this last time, because you know, you don't know how many times I've done this. Well, I know his forgiveness is absolute. As long as we will say, Lord, yeah, I acknowledge it, that I screwed up for the millionth time. But I'm walking out from this, and I'm declaring by faith, I'm not walking in that again. Now, it may take a while to walk free of it, but the key to walking free of it is learning who we are in Christ and start identifying with all those blessings we have in heavenly places. That's my source and my strength. Not looking and saying, I'm just a miserable worm. Well, yeah, so what? <laughs> He's bigger than my faults. He's bigger than my trouble. He's bigger than my foul-ups. Thank God he is. Because if he wasn't, he wouldn't be very big. I mean, I've had a lot of foul-ups. I've had a lot of screw-ups. But when you get right down to it, I'm not as bad as Hitler. I'm not as bad as Stalin. But I don't have to be a Hitler and be a Stalin to be, to be a sinner. But he's still greater than that. Hitler and Stalin, had they accepted Christ, could have made heaven. If at the very end of their life, you know, they said, Lord, I know you're real and I want your forgiveness. I want to be part of you. He would have said, my, my mercy endures forever and it's for you too. Now, I have no doubt that neither man did it because they were both egomaniacs. I don't think they even, I think they thought they were God. But it was still available. How much more is it available for us as his children? 
Thank you so much for joining us. If this message has blessed you today, we invite you to visit us in person at Faith Community Church or online at FCCIndianapolis.com.